sing so well and you have to come up and and follow them. But I appreciate their ministry so much. Hebrews chapter 9 is where we'll be. Hebrews chapter 9. Just go ahead and make your way there. As you could tell, we're I man just have the privilege of celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning, just thinking about um, what we have been given in Christ because of the cross. So Hebrews chapter 9 is just a, a powerful, really Hebrews 9 and 10, thinking about the, the sacrifice that Christ made for us on the cross. And so would you stand with me and just to honor the reading of God's Word. And I want to read Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 14 together. Hebrews 9, beginning in verse 11, you'll find these similar words. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, that's not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of a goat or a calf, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience. Now notice that phrase. This new sacrifice will purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, Father, in Jesus' name, would you add your blessing? to the reading of God's Word. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys go ahead and be seated. Thank you, Phil, for that song. Just to keep this passage in its context, I want you to remember the book of Hebrews is written to a group of people that are under persecution. They are being threatened from those on the outside. They are Jewish Christians. So what that means is they come... Uh, from a, a monotheistic background, they believe in the God of the Old Testament. They believe in the, in the God the Father that we do. But they also believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of all things in the Old Testament. But there were those who were around them that were saying, Hey guys, you are worshiping some false god. You don't have a temple. Uh, you, you don't have a place of worship. Uh, you don't have a priest. You don't have any of these things. You, you're worshiping these false gods. And so they, they're outside people who are putting persecution on them and saying, hey, all of the, all of the, 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 the jabbing and the jeering and the persecution, it will all stop if you'll just go back to your old way of, of life. And the author of Hebrews, he's writing and he's, he's doing his very best to encourage these followers of Christ saying, hey, you don't have anything to go back to because when Jesus came, he fulfilled all of that. Religion has ended, and now it's about having a relationship with Christ. And so all through the old, all through the book of Hebrews, the author has been pointing to the greatness of Jesus. And last week in Hebrews 8, we looked at this idea that the new covenant ends all other religions. We're not interested in having a religion. We're interested in being faithful followers of Christ. Now in chapter 9, he picks up this idea, and he begins to point his readers back to the sacrificial system, specifically what would happen on the Day of Atonement. So very quickly, uh, let's look at the beginning of Hebrews 9 and look at just the, the tabernacle, if you will, uh, that they had. Look in verse 2. There was a tent that was prepared. The first section in which was the lampstand. Now there's a, a picture of this just to kind of give you an idea. And so it, 
kind of all the Jews would be able to, to go into here. Uh, you had the lampstand. I'm going to stand on this side because I'm getting blinded on that side. You, you have the lampstand. Now, the lampstand was there, and it's, it's, it's symbolic. It's pointing to the fact that God's presence would always be uh, with the children of Israel. It was always lit. The, the oil there was always burning, uh, the lamp there. And so it was just signifying that, hey, God's presence, I'm always with you. And then you have the, the, the table of the bread of the presence. Uh, there was 12, I'm not sure if it was pieces or loaves, but there was 12 loaves of bread there. And it was just, it was not there for them to, to feed God. It was there signifying that God would always make provisions for them. Uh, you can think back to when the children wandered in the, in the uh, wilderness, uh, that God provided manna for them. Now, this is interesting. Did you know that in most other religions today, they provide food for the deities that they serve? Here's a picture. We were in Toronto this past summer. Uh, this is Joshua here, uh, Jess there, Rusty there. But if you notice the lady in the middle there, there, we're in a Hindu temple. There's a god that she's praying to there. And if you see what, what she has in her bag there, she's got things like uh, bananas or apples, uh, something like that, that she bought there at the temple, and she is feeding that particular god, trying to uh, gain his or her approval, uh, things like that. Uh, that's not us as followers of Christ. Uh, we don't have to try to feed our god to gain his approval. He provides for us. We don't have to provide for him. And so there was a, uh, go back to the, the other picture here, Wes. Uh, there, there's a table of presents there. And then you have the, uh, what the text there mentions there is the, the, the altar of incense. It was a place where the incense would burn, and Revelation would, would make the point that, that our, our, our prayers are literally like incense that, that, that rays that go up before the throne of God there. And then you have this line here. This would be the, the veil. Phil sang about this song. The veil, the curtain torn in two. Now, this was not like some, some curtain that you hang up that you can see through, like you can go to Walmart and buy a curtain. No, this, this sucker was like four inches thick. It hung from, <coughs> excuse me, from top to bottom, all the way up to the, to the ceiling, all the way down to the floor. I mean, it, it completely shut off everything that was in the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest would be able to go into the most, most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, which symbolized that the presence of God that was there. And, and he would only go in one time of year on the Day of Atonement. He would, first of all, he would make a sacrifice for himself so that he could be pure before God to go in on behalf of the people. And here's how an Old Testament scholar, Ray Dillard, here's how we describe the Day of Atonement. He said, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest, high priest would bathe from head to toe. He would be dressed in pure unstained white linen. Then he went into the Holy of Holies and offered an animal sacrifice to God to atone or pay the penalty for his own sins. After that, he came out, bathed completely again, put on new white linen, and he went in again, this time to sacrifice for the sins of the priest. But that's not all. He would come out a third time and bathe again from head to toe, and they would dress him in brand new pure linen, and he went into the Holy of Holies and atoned for the sins of the people. And after that, here's what they would do. They would have a ceremony called the scapegoat ceremony. They would have another lamb, and the high priest, he would go and he would literally 
symbolically lay hands on the head of that goat, signifying, and what he would do is symbolically confess the sins of the people on this goat, and they would send this goat out into the wilderness. Now, do you see the symbolism there? That <coughs> Excuse me. And they're symbolically sending that goat off, saying, so have our sins been sent away. Now, Miss Shirley, it was kind of a bad deal if that goat wandered back into the camp, right? You know, you wouldn't want the goat to kind of come back in. And so they would literally, they would have kind of like a, a, a group of guys set up so if the goat wanted to come back, he couldn't. They would keep him off into the wilderness, and, and sometimes they would even push that goat off of a cliff or, or something like that. But it, w- it was just representative that, hey, um, all through the Old Testament, uh, that they would have these sacrifices would point to something that would eventually come and would be fulfilled in Christ. But there was some things that were really wrong with these sacrifices. Let me, let me mention two things about these sacrifices. First of all, they're copies of the ultimate sacrifice of Christ. They, they were shadows of the reality. Everything that we just mentioned in the, in the Old Testament, in, in that tabernacle, it points us to Christ. Think about the, the lampstand there. Jesus said that he is the light of the world, and those who walk with him walk in the light of life. The book of John says that he is the bread of life, and those who feast on him will never go hungry. He is the high priest through which our prayers approach the throne of God. Think about the altar of incense. He is the Lamb of God who died so that we could be forgiven. He is the scapegoat who carries away our sins forever, and they are not merely covered, they are gone forever. Everything that we just looked at, Christ is the reality of the, all of those Old Testament symbols. But now here's the second thing. All of these sacrifices that we just talked about, all of these Old Testament symbolism, they were insufficient. Look in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3. It says, but in all these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins. You see, in the the Old Testament, when they went through these sacrifices, they did what they were designed to do in the sense that they cleansed the outside of their life, right? They they made appeasement to the Lord. Things on the outside were, were made right. It did what it was designed to do. But what the text says here in verse 13, how much more will the blood of Christ purify our conscience? You see, the sacrifices in the Old Testament were insufficient because there was one thing they could not do. They could not take your guilt away. And that's what Christ came to do. Have you ever seen these people that they're very religious? They go to church, and maybe they even have a quiet time. But when it comes down to it, they still live in all the pain and all of the guilt of their sin. You ever seen people like that? Maybe, maybe you're here, and that's you this morning. And here's what God is saying to you this morning, man. You can't live in the pain and, 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 the, and the guilt of your sin. If that's you this morning, what God is saying is, is you're going through the motions of an Old Testament religious system. Doing things is not going to take away the guilt of your sin. Only coming to Christ can purify your conscience. And so very quickly, let me mention three areas where the sacrifice of Jesus is greater 
than any sacrifice that was given in the Old Testament, specifically that of the, the Old Testament Day of Atonement. First of all, it brings a greater cleansing. That's what verses 13 and 14 really say to us. The Old Testament worked in the sense that it brought a cleansing to the outside, but what Christ offers us in the New Covenant with this greater sacrifice is to purify our conscience. Now, very quickly, let me say this. Many people are turned off by this idea of blood sacrifice. You know, you, you read this, the blood of goats and the blood of bulls and, and all of these sacrifices, the blood of Christ. Why in the world does, does, does God require blood? Well, I want to get you to think about this for just a moment. Blood represents life. If you are alive in this room this morning, your mother literally shed her blood so that you could be here. I've, I've been in the, in the delivery room for three children, and I assure you that each and every time my wife shed her blood so that each and every one of my children could be here. And I know it's kind of gory to talk about, but blood represents life. You, you, don't, you don't get born, uh, you don't, you're, you're not born here on earth if somebody does not shed their blood for you. And oftentimes, you've heard stories like this where somebody willingly laid down their life for somebody else, and it was by their blood that somebody else was delivered from death. And so many times, even in our own culture, a blood is a symbol of life. Okay, so but here's back to our question. How can the blood of Christ remove our guilt? How can it purify our conscience? Well, I want you to just do me a favor. Just stay with me. Think about what it means to be forgiven. I say this all the time when I, when I teach about forgiveness, but there truly is no forgiveness if there, are, if there is no suffering. Think about it with me just for a moment. Say if uh, Roger steals my credit card and charges $1,000 on my credit card without you know, my approval. I've got two choices. I could say, well, you know what? You have to pay me back. Or I can say, it's okay. I realize you were in a bad spot. I'm going to forgive you. But just because I forgive you, that means the debt still has to be paid, right? Chase or Capital One still want their money, right? I mean, they're not just going to say, oh, I, I, you know, we're just going to you know, erase this debt. No, they, it's got to be paid. I could say, Roger, I forgive you, and I'll pay that $1,000. Either way, if I'm going to forgive him, I've got to endure that suffering. But think about it this way. Let's say Rusty comes and, and he just slaps me in the face. I've got two choices. I can punish him, or I can say, you know what, I forgive you. If I forgive him, you know what happens? I've got to bear the suffering and the humiliation of him hitting me in front of everybody else. Is that right? I've got to endure the suffering if I'm going to offer that forgiveness. There, there really is no forgiveness if there's no suffering. Now, with that in mind, I want you to think about this. How much greater did Christ suffer so that you and I could? I mean, we literally, I mean, we might as well have been there in the crowd that spit in his face. We might as well have been in the crowd that put the crown of thorns on him. We might as well have been the guards that put the nails in his hands, in his feet. We might as well have been in the crowd that shouted crucify him because each and every one of us caused him to go to the cross. 
And he said, that's okay. I'm willing to suffer the punishment, the humiliation, and everything else so that everybody else has an opportunity to be forgiven and to be made pure. That's what he did at the cross. He suffered for our wrongdoing so that we could be forgiven and not just you know, go through this sacrificial, uh, uh, this sacrificial Old Testament system. He did that so that our conscience could be made pure. Mark Driscoll, um, he wrote a book, and he's gotten in trouble um, since he, he wrote this book, but the story he tells in this book, um, it, just, it represents this so well. The book's called Death by Love, and in the book he, tell, he tells this story. Listen to the story, I'm just going to quote it. He said, a friend of mine has been married to a woman he dearly loved for many years. Yet they were never as close and intimate as he desired, and he could not figure out why. It's because his wife was filled with shame. He had been molested as a girl, raped as a young woman, promiscuous throughout much of her teen years. She even cheated on him during their engagement and did not share these shameful, dark secrets with him. After many years after their marriage, she, she finally told her husband who she truly was, what she had truly done, and what had truly been done to her. And the truth devastated her husband, who would never have married her had he known her infidelity, infidelity during their engagement. Plus, she knew that some guys wouldn't want to be with a girl that had been abused so much that they had looked at her as damaged goods or something. At this point, she feared that her husband would leave her and want nothing to do with her. And to her horror, he walked out. He left her home, and she did not know where he was going or if he would ever return. But he did something unexpected. He went to the store and purchased for her a new, clean nightgown. He returned her home, asked her to, to undress in front of him, and then clothe herself in white, which she did. He then said that he had chosen to see her not by what she had done or what had been done to her, but instead solely by what Jesus had done for her to forgive her and cleanse her defilement. He embraced her, he prayed for her, and she wept tears that purified her soul as her sin was put away from her by the love of Jesus and her husband who was filled with the Spirit of God. King and country, my kids love this song called Twice. I see you dressed in white with every wrong made right. That's the way our Father sees us. You see, it's not just going through this Old Testament system saying, oh, I've done this now, I'm made right in your eyes. No, no, no. It is having our conscience, it's having our guilt removed because we understand just what Jesus went through on our behalf. He does not see us as we are. He sees us robed in the righteousness of Christ. That's a good spot to say amen. Okay? Here's the second thing. The sacrifice of Christ not only removes our guilt, but it also gives us a greater reason to serve. Notice the end of verse 14. He purifies our conscience from, from dead works to serve the living God. There's something powerful about understanding that Jesus died for you that causes you to surrender your life to him and serve you in whatever way he asks. You see... The power of the cross is not that Jesus just died. It's that he died for you. It's something that is personal in this relationship. Think of, just, just grasp this. Think about it if, 
if Leanne and I are, are walking down the, the railroad track here in Bethel, and, and the train comes by like clockwork here in Bethel, right? I mean, it's, it's always on time. Leanne and I are walking down, down the railroad tracks, and, and we're holding hands, and I'm, you know, like, like a, a, a good husband, I, I'm by the railroad tracks, and we're just walking around, and, and the train's coming, and I look at her and I say, hey, hey, honey, let me show you how much I love you. And as the train approaches, I throw myself in front of the train and, and die. Do you really think that she thinks I really love her? Or would she think, you're stupid, right? You know, she, I mean, because just because I died, that doesn't mean that I love her, right? But now what if on the other hand, we're walking down the railroad tracks and, and by, you know, some strange thing, her foot gets caught in, in the train tracks. And then the train's coming. And I put my life on the line, and I'm there, and I free her foot just in the nick of time, push her out the way, but I lose my life. It's a completely different story then, isn't it? She, she realizes just how much I love her because I gave my life so that she could have her life. And you see, many times we think of the death of Christ we don't personalize it. We just think that Jesus died so that we can, we can all just be forgiven and go to heaven. But the truth is, we need to personalize that. Jesus didn't just die for everybody. He died for you. And you've got to grasp this. And once you understand and you grasp just how wide and just how deep and just what the length of Christ's love is for you, and you understand that he died for you right where you are, it changes you and it motivates you to serve him in a greater capacity. He didn't just die... He died for the whole world, but you have to personalize that and think that he died specifically for you. And finally, think about this. You see it at the end of this chapter. The ultimate sacrifice of Christ gives us a greater hope. Look at the last two verses. And just as it is appointed for every man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. Every one of us, we're going to die Unless Jesus comes first, we're going to die. We'll face the judgment. And you can either face judgment with Christ on your side or you can face the judgment without Christ. But Christ, verse 28, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly wait for him. We're getting ready to start celebrating Christmas. I did something this year I've never done before. Our Christmas decorations are up before Thanksgiving. Don't judge me. I know some of you got yours up too, okay? We celebrate Christmas, and we should. But did you know that for every one prophecy about the birth of our Savior, there's eight more that deal with his second coming? Eight more. You know, we, we celebrate Christmas, but hey, there's eight prophecies for every one when the second coming compared to his first coming. That the truth of his second coming is a reality. We have this great hope that this world is not our home. We have this great hope that Christ will come again and when he does, every injustice will be done away with. Every wrong will be over. Everything will be made right according to the good desires of our Savior. When we partake of this Lord's Supper in just a moment, Here's what we're doing. We're proclaiming that the death and resurrection of our Savior gives us a great hope that even though we may suffer in the here and now, there is coming a day when Jesus will return and sin will be no more. 
hand. The sacrifice of Christ gives us great hope to endure everything that we go through here on earth. 1955. Billy Graham just celebrated his uh, 98th birthday. 19, November of 1955, Billy Graham was invited to speak at the prestigious Cambridge University outside of London. By this time, uh, Cambridge University uh, at that point was liberal, still very liberal today is my understanding. And many of the professors there at that time could not believe that Billy Graham, this fundamentalist preacher who believed that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, would be invited to speak at such a prestigious university. He just couldn't understand it. And so word began to get out, and papers began, uh, the newspapers there at that time, began to write articles about, about Billy Graham coming to, to Cambridge. They wrote so much that it affected Billy Graham. I mean, we, we look at Billy Graham as this, like, superhero in, of the faith, right? But they, they began to get Billy Graham. And so Billy Graham prepared eight what he called scholarly sermons, trying to speak to the people there at Cambridge. And the first three nights, the way it's told is nothing happened. I mean, as a pastor, I get that. You know, maybe some of you don't, but you know, when when you stand up and you preach all your heart out and I mean and just nobody's coming to faith in Christ. No lives are being changed. I mean, it, it, it gets to you. It really does. So Billy Graham said, I just scratched it off. I, I threw every other sermon away. He said on that fourth night, on Wednesday night, Billy Graham got up and he started in Genesis and just preached the cross. He just preached about the power of the cross. The, the, the way that the cross of Christ and what Jesus did on the cross, how it could change lives. And that night, he invited anybody who wanted to surrender their life to Jesus to stay behind, surrender their life to Jesus. 400 people that Wednesday night gave their lives to Christ. Dick Lucas, who was a um, written commentaries some time later, <laughs> was uh, interviewing somebody who was, who was in the ministry. And it was beginning to share his testimony. Uh, the guy was sharing his testimony with Dick Lucas. He said, tell me about your walk with Christ. He said, oh, I was saved at a, a Billy Graham revival. He said, oh, when? He said, in November in 1955. And he had been religious up until that point. And going to church, I mean, he's studying to be in the ministry, but he said, that night, I surrender to the cross. Maybe you're here this morning. We're getting ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're getting to, ready to remember his sacrifice. We're getting ready to, I mean, just truly worship the fact that Jesus shed his blood for our sins. I wonder if that cross has made a difference in your life. I wonder if there's ever been a day in your life where you, not, I mean, I'm not just asking you to pray a prayer. I, I, I'm I'm asking, has there ever been a day where you've really surrendered your life to Jesus? Where the cross is, has not just been something that you look forward to, but, but something that has cleansed you from the inside out. 
If not, we're, we're going to sing a, a song of invitation. It's a song for you to respond before we celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's, a, it's an opportunity for you to uh, just make sure your relationship with the Lord is right. And if the cross has never made a difference in your life, man, I'm just going to ask you to, as we stand and as we sing, if you would just come forward saying, Pastor, man, I've been religious, I've gone to church maybe my whole life, but today I, I want the cross to make a difference in my life. I don't want to just go through the motions. I want my I want my guilt to be cleansed. I, I, I just I, I really want to serve. I want the cross to make a difference in my life. If you'll come during that invitation, man, I don't have a magic formula, but I think it's the attitude of your heart signifying that you want Jesus to make a difference in your life. That will make the difference. Why don't you pray with me, and then we're going to stand, and, and we'll sing, and then we'll prepare to, to take the Lord's Supper. Father, have your way here in this time. Lord, would you be glorified? That would be my prayer, Father. Lord, do it for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation is page, page 306.